the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not long ago, I asked for directions to a yoga class on a boat on the Seine, and the teacher said, start at the Princess Diana flame and walk in the direction of the Eiffel Tower. I quietly smile to myself because in my short time living in Paris, I've learned that it's a real hot button for some, almost an indignation, to have the flame of liberty referred to as the Princess Diana flame. And yet often when I cross over the Pont de Lama Bridge, I think of Princess Diana and her ill-fated entry into the tunnel, which tragically took her life in August 1997. I remember visiting Paris and the American Cathedral the following summer, a full year later, when the gold flame was still a veritable shrine, surrounded by candles and flowers and photographs that continue to speak to the cosmic grief that baffled some but was shared by so many for the icon known as the People's Princess. There is to this day a curious commentary around the princess's behavior that was unbecoming of a princess and a member of the royal family. But curiously, for the same reason that the princess offended the sensibilities of some for being a royal misfit who didn't follow the rules, for that same reason she inspired and attracted the attention of others. And here I'm not talking about the images of the princess on the front pages of tabloids in a swimsuit on a yacht. I'm talking about how in 1987, the most famous woman in the world single-handedly, literally single-handedly, helped to change the face of AIDS. How at a time in the mid-80s when people were too afraid to be in the same room as AIDS patients, the princess broke the rules and brought to light a health crisis that took the lives of so many that the rule makers were content to leave in the dark. While she was Her Royal Highness before she was stripped of her title, Princess Diana visited an AIDS patient at Middlesex Hospital in London and famously or infamously shook his hand. Moreover, she shook his hand without gloves. And as a spokesperson for an AIDS alliance for children, youth, and families said, with that handshake, she educated the world about compassion, love, and understanding. In that simple gesture, in that simple act of breaking the rules, her privileged hand touching the hand of a supposed lesser human being, Princess Diana helped to change the perception about AIDS in the Western world. She helped to remove its stigma, making a profound difference in the lives of so many victims. Her humanitarian work with AIDS grew out of that handshake, work that her sons continue to keep alive to this day as a legacy to their mother. In that simple act, that simple gesture, a photographed handshake became a touch felt around the world. If I but touch his clothes, an unnamed woman cries out when Jesus moved through the crowds, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Another untouchable from another time, on the edge of society and a decent healthcare system. All it will take is a touch 
to receive his compassion, love, and understanding. She touched and she was made well. All it took was a touch. Ours is a misfit Messiah whose authority came from a different place, from no human source. An authority generated so strongly from within his very being that even his clothes radiated power. If I but break through the crowds and touch his clothes, I can be made well and go in peace. Death and illness play no favorites, and so equally the 12-year-old daughter of a man of privilege and the unnamed woman on the fringe need his touch. And lucky for them and lucky for us, our misfit Messiah breaks the rules and crosses over to the other side, a description that I think is less one about geography than the nature of his character. Jesus is always crossing over to the other side to touch unclean things and people he isn't supposed to touch, often on days he's not supposed to touch them. Luckily for us, he breaks the rules. And you notice in the text, the unnamed woman is healed first, before the young daughter with a health care plan in the name of her father and privilege, in the name of all external luck of the draw. But before the young daughter is made well by Jesus sitting at her bedside and taking her hand again, all it took was a touch. Before that healing, the unnamed woman breaks through the crushing crowds and boldly touches his clothes and is made well. In that wonderful scene of energy exchange, Jesus feels the power leave him, but his concern is not one of depletion. There's plenty more where that came from. His concern is one of connection. He wants to know who it is who has touched him. He's not just some machine you plug into like recharging your iPhone battery. The real exchange happens when he calls her out of the crowd and she falls at his feet and they talk. And not until the unnamed woman is given the designation of daughter does he move on to the leader's house to heal the 12-year-old daughter. We're all sons and daughters here and all it takes is a touch to be made well, to be reconnected with the human family. We've lost touch of that, no pun intended, that in spite of all the amazing and miraculous ways we can be in touch with each other across the world at the touch of a screen, in spite of all of our technological innovations of the 21st century, there is still no substitute for the human touch, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, human touch and connection. No computer, no electronic device, no touch screen, no avatar can replicate the contact of flesh-to-flesh -flesh connection. There are all kinds of apps for saying daily prayers or for meditating with timers and bells and chimes. The entire Book of Common Prayer is online at the touch of a screen. But no technology can replicate the collective energy that comes from communal breathing when we meditate or sit in silence together. No technology can serve you bread and wine through the screen that you can take and eat and drink. No technology can reach across the screen and hold your hand or give you a hug when you need it the most. I do FaceTime with my mom in Toronto regularly, and it's definitely a step 
up better than just talking, but she never quite gets it and is always leaning in, therefore, out of the eye of the camera lens, her hands reaching to touch the screen or grab the edges of the computer to connect with me. So a good chunk of the conversation is wasted on me saying, Mom, sit back, sit back, I can't see you. And it's frustrating but endearing because her impulse her instinct is the human one. You should be able to lean in and touch the face with something called FaceTime, but you can't. I'm right there, but I'm not. That only happens in something called real life, not FaceTime. These scenes from Mark's Gospel remind us of the necessity of human touch, of human contact and human connection. If I but touch his clothes, the crowds press in on Jesus, but they don't touch him, nor are they touched by him. The crowds of life keep us safe and nameless where we are dulled by endlessly prescribed social norms and rules. You know them. Girls don't climb trees, boys don't cry, princesses and messiahs don't touch unclean things. But we're here to be called out of the crowds, out of the box to fit into the human family, where we are all sons and daughters, children of the living God. Real life in real time is making the time and place and space to be vulnerable, to make connections and to be made well, one by one, face to face, handshake by handshake. As the people's Messiah, Jesus touched the untouchables. He broke bread with outcasts and sinners and was always available to the handful who broke through the nameless, faceless crowds to connect with him and to be made well and therefore to be made free. Because the astonishing reality of the good news for us is always bound up in liberation. More than being set free from illness like the two daughters today, the good news is being set free from all the things that truly bind us, like anxiety, or addiction, or depression, or loneliness, or fear, or simply conformity. All of these things really come from one form of disconnection or another. So what would liberation look like for you? From what do you need to be set free? The shining flame of liberty overlooking the Seine was given to Paris in 1989 to mark the centennial of the International Herald Tribune and was offered to the people of France as a symbol of the Franco-American connection and friendship. It's a beautiful image for us to remember at the American Cathedral in Paris in the week approaching our Independence Day. But surely the gold flame of liberty is wide enough and broad enough and bright enough to be considered an unofficial memorial for the people's princess, as well as a symbol of all connections and friendships which set us free. And surely the flame of liberty now extends to all those included in Friday's landmark Supreme Court ruling, which makes marriage available now to all people from sea to shining sea. One human rights organization, though, took me aback by announcing the ruling with the words, we won. In arenas of the human heart, only love wins, and when love wins, there are no winners and losers. 
Theologian James Allison once said that the Christian path is not in the being right or wrong. It's in the helping each other out of the whole. In the human family, we're inextricably bound up with the fate of the one whom we oppose. That's what the church is, the place to show us how to help each other out of the whole. So if we're right, we gracefully help the other by reaching a hand and getting them out of the hole. If we're wrong, we gracefully accept the hand reaching to let us out. Either way, we end up in the same place, in the conversation and around the table, where we are fed and held together by healing hands. No winners or losers, but sons and daughters, children of the living God, called out of the crowds, touched by the one whose touch sets us free. Because the flame of liberty, the cornerstone of the good news, stands alight for all of us. Amen.